You're listening to the Pop Tart Podcast. Girl down. You already know. Was I living the life that my teen self expected of me? Satan says, love, love, love. Satan says, love, love, love. Was I living the life that my teen self expected of me? Man and His Symbols is one of my favorite books. Before they got into the foot fetish, we'll see. I bet we go back to our bullshit. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Pop-Tarts. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. Callie and I are editors of Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today's guest is a bona fide 80s icon. Soleil Moonfry first became a star at eight years old in the hit sitcom Punky Brewster. That show about a tiny street smart girl abandoned by her mother and fostered by an elderly man ran for four seasons from 1984 to 1988. And to kids like me who were born in the mid-70s, it was absolutely everything. There was a Saturday morning cartoon spinoff and there were dolls and there were books and there were t-shirts. And Soleil was one of the most famous children in America. In the time since then, Soleil continued to act, she started directing, and she started a family. But right after those punky years in the 1990s, no matter what she was up to, she always carried a video camera with her and kept detailed journals carefully documenting her young life. Now, all that amazing footage of her teen years is seeing the light of day in a riveting new documentary that Soleil directed called Kid 90. It is available now on Hulu. And Kid 90 features Soleil's home movies and her voicemails and audio recordings and diary entries alongside all new interviews that she conducted with her childhood friends who include David Arquette and Brian Austin Green and Stephen Dorff and Mark Paul Gosselaar. It is amazing. This movie is bringing her into homes all over the world right now and then raising her profile even higher. Soleil is also starring in a new 10-episode punky brewster reboot which is out now on peacock it's so cute and poignant i watched every episode and can't wait to talk about it welcome soleil hooray thanks so much for that beautiful and warm and kind and loving introduction it really means so much to me you got me feeling all the feels in like the first few minutes my goodness (laughs) (laughs) hooray you know as i said you're best known for playing punky brewster um, and that was in the late 80s, starting when you were just seven. Can you fill our listeners in on what your journey has been like between when that show ended in 1988 and this huge moment you're having now with your own series and documentary? You know, you oh can be quick. Oh my goodness, it's been such a journey. And I like to call it full spiral because I believe that like we have the option to really expand in life. So some people call it full circle. I like to call it the spiral, right? Uh-huh. And, uh, and the journey's been amazing, you you know, punky has always been such a big part of my heart. I love punky forever. And I always say that if I'm 100 years old and they're calling me punky, I'll be thrilled because really she's always been such a part of my life. And so I had such an amazing time doing punky. And then, you know, growing up and and being able to be a kid, my, my family always really 
um, you know, kept us grounded and we went to summer camp and had all of these amazing experiences and, and also, you know, had a roller coaster of a journey and different adventures and, and different moments throughout where, you know, you have these amazing highs. And also, you know, there was a lot of pain in different times of my life. And my parents, my father was a civil rights activist. My mom was an activist and they always taught me to take your pain and turn it into art. And so as a teenager, as I was going through my awkward phase and, you know, developing rapidly, I, you know, I kept a diary from the time I was five. I kept diaries throughout my teen years. And then as a teenager, I started documenting everything and the world around me and the colorful world. And I documented our lives growing up in Los Angeles and then moving to New York. And I went to college and and uh, and came back and I had lived this incredibly colorful life. And then I locked all the footage away for 20 years. And uh, by the time I was in my early 20s, I had lost some of my best friends. And I think I was really searching for tradition because I didn't, you know, I had such an unorthodox life growing up and yet it was so colorful and unique. And I met um, my future husband at 19 years old um, and got married by the time I was 22 and had these incredible babies and lived this amazing life over the last 20 years. And I mean, this is like the long winded version of my life, right? (laughs) Okay. So I have all these babies. I, um, I was still acting and, and, and doing fun things like did friends and Sabrina and all these like fun shows. And then, uh, and then started an eco-friendly baby store with my kids. I mean, it's just amazing. And my friends and, and that was amazing. And, um, and really got more and more involved in charity work and, um, and started going to Haiti after the earthquake in Haiti. And that's been such a meaningful part of my life. And then a few years ago, I, I turned 40 and I had these beautiful kids and this beautiful life. And I also wondered if things had, you know, happened the way I remembered them, you know, cause I had lost so many of my very dear friends early on. And I had remembered our lives being so full of joy and love. And honestly, I think I also remembered so much of that artist in me, but didn't really know where she had gone. Do you know what I mean? Like I associated that spark with youth in a way. Yeah. And uh-huh. And so here I had these incredible kids. I have these incredible kids. And I was wondering who am I, you know, in addition to my kids and my family and, and was I the artist that I once remembered and, you know, all of that. And so I started unlocking Pandora's box and yeah. opened the vault and my entire life <laughs> changed forever. And it always brought me probably back. I mean, not probably, I know for sure it brought me back to the person that I once was. It was like my teen self had left this chronological blueprint for my adult self to discover. What an amazing gift to give yourself. I love it. I would love to speak to you for a moment about the impact of Punky Brewster. Even like even before that show aired, I was one of those kids. And I, I as far as I can understand, there's actually a lot of us who is absolutely obsessed with the idea of being orphaned or abandoned as soon as I realized that that was a thing. I, I was always asking my friends to like play orphan. I was one of those kids who would wrap up food in napkins and hide it away in case I ever needed to fend for myself. Like that was just a part of my early childhood development. So then when Punky Brewster came out, it was 
to say the least, deeply interesting to me. (laughs) And then recently I was talking about the show with my partner and he told me that he was constantly worried about being abandoned at a shopping center because Punky Brewster was abandoned at a shopping center. And whenever his mom would pull into a shopping center, he would start to get freaked out. And I would say, really? Me too. Oh my God. I wonder if you have heard this from other fans of the show, the way that Punky Brewster it was basically the equivalent of a horror movie for babies because <laughs> it taps into the deepest, most primal fear that children could have, like losing their parents. Um, do, do you hear that from anybody other than weirdos like me? And do you see it as like something therapeutic for kids who are worried about that, whether they've actually been abandoned or not? <laughs> I, I think Punky um, has always held such a, special part of people's hearts because it it was so much about the family that we choose. You know, there's the family that we're born into and the family we choose along the way. And I think about when they were pitching it and this little girl's abandoned by her father and her mother and left in a shopping center and then finds Cherry and Henry and they become her family. And, um, and, and it's so incredible that it was able to heal through laughter and deal with very, you know, deep topics um, in a, in a really meaningful and profound way. And over so many years, people have shared their incredible stories. Um, people that had been brought up in, you know, in the foster care system, people who had been adopted, people who had come from broken homes, just so many stories. And I think Punky resonated so much as this this survivor that had been through so much and yet had that spark and that spunk and that life within her, that punky power. And, and so no matter what background we come from, right, it's like that power within. And I know for me, I have very often leaned into that punky power and, and she has gotten me through so much of life's, you know, hardest moments. And it's, it's that power within all of us. And and I love that. And so I think it's resonated with people um, all over the place, not just you. I think it's like all different <laughs> walks of life that connect, that connect with, with her and with the power around her. Yeah. There was just something really helpful about watching you go through it because you were so vulnerable, but like vulnerable enough to be relatable, but you were so strong and it made me feel like a stronger little kid somehow connecting with you and watching you. Cause we're like around the same age. I definitely connected to the aesthetics, to the outfits. That was like my vibe. And then later I, I started a band and we called it Drunky Brewster because it was all about outfits. Love that. <laughs> it's all about all the wild outfits. Inspirational. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I really do feel that it's, it is that, that power within us. You know, I, I know for me that bringing it, I, I really do feel like this is a continuation more than a reboot. You know what I mean? Cause it just feels like the next stage. Right. And I, I know when we did our when we did our live audience taping because we shot the pilot before COVID and then we shot the rest of the season during and and it was so um, it was such an incredible journey and when we first shot the pilot you know we did the show and and afterwards Cherry and I were just in tears you could hear like a pin drop in the live audience and and we both got out there and, and I was like this is not just a show for us this is our lives, like punky power is such a part of, you know, me. And I think for a lot of years, you know, in life, you know, sometimes I think as we get older, at least for myself, I kind of lost some of that or had forgotten 
about that, that part of me. And it was this incredible rediscovery of self and that spark and that feeling and that aliveness of, um, of, of joy that again, that I had associated with youth and was like, Oh my goodness, I feel like I'm coming of age all over again. You know, it's yeah. not a midlife crisis. Like I kept like, people were like, are you going through? And I was like, it's a coming of age again, you know? And I think if we could talk about it openly, what it is to come of age at different stages of our lives, mm-hmm. yeah. they would remove some of that stigma so that we could actually have an open dialogue and share and not feel so alone. Totally. Yeah. I found that I'm so glad that you brought up reuniting with Cherry Johnson because that was my, was my favorite, favorite part of seeing the show rebooted was seeing you and Cherry together again after all those years. It was so amazing. I, I was really wondering if you two have a real, if you had a real friendship when you were kids and if being able to see each other and work together again, like helped bring you guys together as friends again. A million percent. Cherry and I met at one of the many auditions sitting in the the room and we, we started drawing, we we're sitting outside and we just, we started drawing together. We started telling each other totally inappropriate stories. I mean, we're like <laughs> kids and we were just like constantly uh, having the time of our lives. And it was such an authentic relationship and it has been our entire lives. And it was so incredible because when we came back together again, we hadn't even realized that so many years had passed because it was, it's always been one of those friendships where, you know, that person that you can just pick up the phone and it's like not a moment's gone by. And I stood outside of the elevator doors and the elevator doors kept opening. I kept thinking it was going to be her and somebody else would come off the elevator. And then she came out and I just, I burst into tears and we held each other and we hugged and we didn't even realize that that years had gone by because it, it was, I guess, telepathically, we just always were so connected and you see it there in, in the continuation. All of that is so uniquely how we feel about each other. And there's such genuine love. And one of my favorite moments during um, this experience, it was her birthday a few months ago and we're standing in the treehouse, and I'm like, are you okay, babe? Are you good? And she's like, I'm standing here with my best friend in the treehouse the same way that I did at eight years old. Oh. What could be better than that? And we just oh. both were in tears. And that's how we felt every day coming to work. Just that is so, so much gratitude. And, and like we're playing make-believe, you know what I mean? Like for us, it's never been about the work of it. Like we love it and it's such a joy. And to be able to do what you love, I mean, uh-huh. what, a, what a joy and, and just so full of gratitude. You know, I literally yeah. would cry pretty much every day going to work, just literally going, Oh, I get to do what I love. Like this has been my dream since I was five years old. My dream was to be on the back lot of universal studios. And here we are on the back lot of universal studios shooting Bunky Brewster with my best friend since I was eight years old. Like this is just, it's a dream. It, it really is a dream come true. You know, I, I found if I could segue into Kid 90 from Punky Brewster, for me, one of the most memorable parts of your documentary, Kid 90, was the part where you were documenting specifically your life immediately following Punky Brewster. You talked about how you went through puberty very soon after Punky Brewster ended. You talk about how your breasts 
were large by the time you were 13 and 14, which happens to a lot of women. And even though you were still a child, you immediately were feeling sexualized by this industry. You were shut out of age appropriate roles. You talked about being referred to as punky boobster, being offered roles with nudity in them while you were still very much underage. Uh, You talked about men in the industry trying to get handsy with you. And in response, you elected to get breast reduction surgery at 15, which I think is quite young for that. Um, You know, I'm not trying to be judgy, just I mean, like, generally speaking. It was in medical, yeah. Just in an attempt to get your career back, as well as trying to address the medical issues around it. You made it sound like you really had found this dream come true. And Punky Brewster, you talked so candidly about how you wanted to be an actor so badly, and you made that dream come true. And somehow you grew boobs and this industry just, like, took your dream away from you because of boobs, which just ripped me apart watching that happen. This I makes just makes me think a lot of my friend Maria because she was a ballet dancer, and then she got boobs, big boobs real early. You, they, that's it. Back home, they sent her. They were like, nope, boobs, you can't dance with us. <laughs> it's crazy. I think, I think it's such a timeless conversation, and it's so important that we have this conversation because it is so relevant today in a world of social media and a life where so many young people are living through these filters to know that one size doesn't fit all. It doesn't. And uh, and so what I was going through as a young person, I see so many young people, including my own kids, going through it today and on a, such a magnified level. And, uh, and so for me growing up, you know, again, like I held Punky so close to my heart And I was really grateful and happy and going through the journey. And it was more the world that I think so often wants to kind of keep you little forever in this box. And once you start or once someone starts to develop perhaps in a way that is, you know, unique to them as we are all each unique people, Mm -hmm. uh, people don't know how to deal with it. And, and, uh, And it's a really important conversation that I think we have to have. And I think that when we think about the future of our kids today and the mental health awareness that needs to be around this conversation, it is so important, again, that one size doesn't fit all. And that's a timeless conversation. That was happening to me at 12, 13, 14 years old. And it's happening today on a completely magnified scale. Yeah, definitely. Like I was just thinking about you have a 16 year old daughter now, um, and and you're in this process of unearthing all of these treasures that you left for yourself in the past. And one of those treasures is you literally had videotape of yourself at 15 years old about to go into surgery. They're in the hospital saying, you know, like that there was so much that you were hoping would happen in your life after the surgery. To, to make it clear, for me, it was really a medical thing. I was, you know, I was beyond an E. I was, my shoulders, the back pain was so extreme. My shoulders had indentions. Like I couldn't do the things that my friends were doing. So if I wanted to go horseback riding or dance or do any, you know what I mean? I, it was so hard to be able to just live and, and be free and run around and do the things I wanted to do. And my back was in so much pain and my mom was so understanding and so loving. My family was so understanding and so loving. 
And so really it was something that I really wanted to do. And, and again, my parents were activists. So for me, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this and, and maybe I can help other people. And it was amazing because the response from people that had had similar experiences. And even now at the documentary having, I had a woman write to me the other day saying how much pain she had been in and her parents shared the people magazine with her. And she decided to go and have a breast reduction a few months later and it changed her life. And so over the years, so many people sharing their stories that were so incredible. It's incredible that the people were so responsive and others that had gone through similar experiences or were going through similar experiences it was more the industry that I think had fun with it or thought it was funny or humorous or whatever, you know, and, and so often, um, you know, we live in a world that, that builds you up and so often can, can break you down. And so uh, for me, what I ended up doing is I think the camera, the video camera for me was a way to kind of like try to, really be behind the lens and and capture art and take that that pain and put it somewhere because I really wanted to be an artist and wanted to be a regular kid and wanted to you know and wanted to have all these adventures and journeys and yeah and, um and so I think so much of that I think the camera almost in a way became a little bit like a shield between me and others yeah and I had no doubt that what you were doing was medically necessary, but I felt based on the way that you presented it in the documentary and in the footage that there were these two parallel tracks. You were experiencing something medically that needed to be addressed, but you were also experiencing incredible sexism in like a notoriously sexist industry. And I felt like there was this real raw hope in there that, that on these parallel tracks, by addressing this medical issue that you had, that you were hoping that it would somehow relieve the sexist pressure that you were under at the same time. And, and that was heartbreaking to me. Yes. And I think that that, that's the thing is, is yes, was, was doing it fundamentally for, for the medical, you know, reasons thought, you know, in my, being raised by family that was activist, I was like, I'm going to use this opportunity to make a difference. I'm going to be heard and, and try to make change and I'll be able to be taken more seriously and I'll be able to, you know what I mean? Do the things I love. And, you know, in this, this little artist bursting within, and then instead it became more of a punchline. And I think when you look at how relevant that is to today and young people growing up, um, it, in the business, right. In a business that does so often sexualize young people. Right. Um, and in a world in which we live in where, you know, it doesn't mean that it's, it's just actors and, and musicians going through it, you know, people, it happens to every day around the world. Um, and I think you have so many people hiding behind, you know, these different things because of, of, reactions and fear and everybody has a phone now. So it's like now entertainment is like at their fingertips. And, and I think it's a really important conversation to continue having. You know, you just hit on something else that I think is so, so remarkable about the documentary that you made is that yes, right now, everybody has phones. Whenever you're in a 
either in public or even in private with your friends, there's an expectation that anybody could be recording you at any time, not just the person with a large video camera. But at the time that you were recording your life, that was the exception, not the rule. And your documentary captured exactly what you would expect of beautiful, famous teenagers partying at like the prime of their young lives. You know, there was drinking and there was drugs and there was hanging out and you know, like everything that everyone was doing, you were able to capture it. And it was captured like totally guilelessly because nobody was thinking about everything that they were doing being broadcast in the world all the time at, you know, back then. I was just wondering if you received any pushback from your friends featured in the movie, just because so many of you are still famous. So many of you were child stars who have this totally unrealistic expectation to stay squeaky clean forever. Um, I was just wondering what the process was of saying like, Hey, I videotaped us doing teen things and it's coming into the world. I have to say I've, I've had so much love from, I mean, from, from everyone that I've spoken to, there's just been a real outpouring of love and support. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And, uh, and amazing, amazing people involved. And it's just, it's been incredible. There's been so much love uh, around me. Um, you know, my camera was exposed at all times. So, you know, everyone like saw it there and there was, you know, and, and, and I, I tried to be, be very like respectful of, of everyone involved and also to tell my truth. And again, this is, my personal story, I can't speak to anyone else's. I just went off of, you know, what my, like, again, I tried to make the documentary about everybody but me when we started the documentary. <laughs> By the way, the documentary, what, like my entire lifetime <laughs> making the last four and a half years though, when we started it, it wasn't about me. Like I tried to make it about everyone else. And like, literally, oh. yeah, it was about the death of privacy, like the last decade before the internet explosion. Like it was a kind of completely different, I mean, that was what it was. And the incredible Belisa at Hulu would continue saying to me, okay, what's the glue that brings it together? What's the glue that brings it together? I keep handing it cut after cut. And I ended up, um, my incredible, uh, the incredible Sean Penn, he, um, I spoke to him about, what do you think about if I did a full found footage documentary? And he had told me about um, a film called Sherman's March, a documentary called Sherman's March, which started as one journey and became something completely different. And so I then went in and we cut an entire found footage version because I needed to know what the backbone was. So this is years in the making and then went back and wove in the chorus. And I mean, literally, and I, I turned in the found footage version. And they were like, this is incredible. You're going to add narration. Like, how do we watch? <laughs> you know what I mean? But I really needed to know the heart of it. And and, and I had another friend, Neil, who kept saying, when are you doing an interview? When are you doing an interview? I was like, this is not about me. And really, as I peeled back the onion more and more and found more videos and more diaries, I was really going through the process as we were going through it. And as I discovered so much, it became so deeply personal. And so to the point of how anyone else would react, it was really like piecing it all together as we went and... And I think one of the most profound things is that, you know, for me, I, I dreamt that people would watch this documentary through their own lens and the outpouring that I have seen through Twitter and Instagram. And I mean, through social media and through 
and, and just through people sending texts from friends and friends and friends is that people are really watching this through their own lens. And that is my dream come true that when they're watching this, it's not that they're seeing me, they're watching their own lives. And that means so much to me and hearing from people, the response and the love has been amazing. Um, so anyway, I, I've been so fortunate to just have so much love come in. I love that you got supported through it. And I, and I really connected to, you were sort of mentioning this question a few times in the documentary saying like, are my memories real? Like the way, are, are my perceptions of my young life actually the way that they happened? And, and, you know, you were wondering that in general, but also specifically about some of the more difficult things that happened. And I feel so many times with young women, there's just a culture where women aren't always believed. And it's so pervasive to the point where we question our own memories of that we have of ourselves. And we almost need thousands of hours of found footage and like an army of friends from our past to just even confirm to us that what we think of as our lives is true. Thank you. Well, you put it so beautifully. And, and I really believe that the teenage me and even, you know, I think about when I got my first audio recording, I was, I was 12 when I got this little audio recorder, you know, the one that you would tape record right with. And, and my first audios, you can hear me. I'm like, hello out there, whoever's listening, you know, and I, I really, there was this, this young journalist inside that decided to keep this chronological blueprint. And I really believe that it was a way for me to find my way back to who I once was and finding the letter to my future self that I had written. I was going, who are you today? Who are you in your you know, 18, 19, in your late 20s? Have you made your life worthy? And then the adult me at 40 years old, at 40, you know, something years old, had to question, was I living the life that my teen self expected of me? And was I living my truth? And was I making my life worthy? All of these questions that really changed so much of my life because I had this beautiful life with these kids and all of like this, you know, so many of the dreams that we build upon. And then there was this other part of me, which was the journalist who I kind of just put, you know, I, I kind of like, you know, put to the side for so long. And it was like, as this process started reigniting, 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 it really brought me back so that that, you know, that teen self and adult self could come together. And then for my adult self to be able to allow that teenager healing, because I carried around so many of these, you know, I think my subconscious, this was so much in the subconscious. And I think our subconscious holds on to so much that's within us. And through working through this process, so much came out that I had just buried away. And I think so often when people go through trauma and go through painful moments, it's we, we lock it away in our unconscious and our subconscious and it, and it can remain there for so many years. Sometimes people don't ever deal with it in their lifetimes. And what I was able to experience was this healing of that teen self that felt shame or that felt, you know, 
um, somehow responsible for, you know, some of the things that had happened. And so it was really this healing of, of these, these two parts, these different parts mm. of me coming together again. I would like to know, so Leigh Moon Fry, are you a feminist? <laughs> oh, yes! <laughs> um, and, and I'm raising a bunch of amazing feminists, uh, boys and girls. <laughs> That's amazing. Did you feel that your feminism informed the way that you made you know, this film? I, I have to say, I, it's, it, you know, it's an incredible question. I, and it's a very, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find the right words because I have to say that let's, let's put it this way through this process. I also, I believe in the animus and the animal, you know, like the, the male and female versions of ourselves and all of that. And I will certainly say that, and I'm trying to put this in the most, uh, in, in a way that, uh, I, I found my inner balls, you know, like the, the female inside of me that is that, is that appropriate to say, I found my, my own sense of, of, uh, of, of self and, 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 um, and, and, and also I learned that so many people build us up out of fear and some people build us up out of love. And I really chose that I wanted to be leaning into the, I'm grateful for the people that have taught me out of, out of fear. And I'm grateful for those teachers. I really want to lean into the teachers that teach me out of love. And with that said, I have to say that I have such profoundly incredible, badass female tribe of, of women that are so supportive and are so brilliant and um, encourage me every step of the way. And I also have profoundly inspiring men in my life that, um, that push me uh, in the best way to, um, to continue evolving into the woman that I am. I just, I have one last question, and this is the last question that we ask all of the guests on Pop-Tarts, and that question is, what you watching? And when I say what you watching, it is a broad question. I'm talking about movies, television, books, music, music videos. If you are consuming it pop-culturally, it's probably really cool, and we want to know about it. So, Leigh Moon Fry, what you watching? I am. I'll show you. I am very into... Carl Young. Lots of Carl Young oh. here. Uh, Peter Beard, Carl Young. I mean, I just love, love, love to soak up um, knowledge. So I've been very deeply looking into the subconscious and unconscious and um, quantum physics. I'm very, very into quantum awesome. physics. And what quantum physics have you been reading? I'm so curious. I mean, there's so many. I can go grab them. I have matrix books and <laughs> uh, vortex books. I mean, they're all they're all around. Uh, so I mean, I just I love it. I can go grab them and, and show you. I just I mean, there's so many. I mean, they all they all they're all over the house. Hold on, want me to show you some? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, they're so good. There's so many. I just, I love them all. Hold on. I'm running to grab. Let's see. Oh. <laughs> I mean, 
where they all go? Hold on. There's um. <laughs> so they all really, you know, they all oh, have. No. They're all energy based, you know. So vortex. Hold on. Uh huh. Trying to pull them all together. Let's see. Give me a second. You guys chat. Talk amongst okay. yourselves. Divine, ma- so so here's here's some some reading I love. So divine matrix, cosmic energizer is really good. Carl Jung is one of my favorites. Man and His Symbols is one of my favorite books. Um, I just bought the Black Books by Carl Jung, which is incredible, and uh, the Red Book. Yes. I, I read, not read, but I, I went through a lot of the Red Books standing up at the, at a, I think it was the Strand. Definitely a book oh, in so New York, probably Divine Matrix, anything having to do with, you know, physics and time, space time, I should say, and, and all of that, I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Joseph Murphy, Power of the Subconscious Mind is one of my favorite books. I, I love Power of the Subconscious Mind. It's fantastic. Um, then the origin of consciousness starting this song is amazing. Um, Sharon okay. Olds, favorite. So, I love so Sharon I Olds. got the incredible gift of Sharon Olds and I have been drinking her up. Satan says is one of my favorite books of poetry of all time. Oh, oh, I love her so much. Oh, oh, I, I mean, literally, I mean, I, I, I brought the book with me to New York. It's been traveling all over the place. And so one of my favorite, I, I, I'm like, I bring the book with me and take pictures. <laughs> That's really Oh cute. my God. I love that you love Sharon Olds. That makes a lot of sense to oh, me. You've well, got some Sharon you. in you. <laughs> So that's been that's been one of the great uh, gifts that I received in in the last year, and so I've been carrying her with me everywhere I go. Thank you so much for being on our show. We were really, really looking forward to talking with you, and you've been such a delight. We really just appreciate you so much. We are going to take the briefest of breaks, and when we come back, I'm going to ask Callie, and Callie is going to ask me what you're what watching. You watch- Thank you so much, Soleil. You're the best. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious, and I knew would make great podcasts, and every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have docket. We all have a docket. Sex. Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> Scams. 
I'm Caitlin Bradley. I'm Sue Smith. And, <laughs> and we, we love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German-Russian heiress, and she seems like she has a lot of money, and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. Amazing. So smart. I mean, so smart. I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. Hey, Pop-Tart listeners, have you been trying to record your own podcast, but you keep getting bogged down by technical problems? Luscious Logan can take the raw recordings of your show, edit and produce them to give them that rich, full-body sound that you hear right now. If you have a deep need to express yourself and sound good in the process, reach Luscious Logan LusciousLogan13 at gmail.com. That's LusciousLogan13 at gmail.com. If you want to have that luscious sound. And we're back. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Callie. My inner nine-year-old is freaking the fuck out that I talked to Punky Brewster. Like, I, I literally can't even. Dude, I love it. Is she, I love it. I just, I just, put everything about it. And the movie is so good. I know. The movie is great. All these flashes from the past. And it's been flashing me back to my, to other things. Nostalgia style. Right. Well, now is the part in the program where I ask you, my dear friend, my bosom friend, Callie Watts, what you watching? Well, speak like speaking of the flashes from the past, I watched this thing, The Orange Years, the Nickelodeon doc on Amazon. And it was about huh. like, like the old school Nickelodeon, like before they got into the foot fetish and the, you know, the like What foot fetish? Wait, you you didn't know about like what show was Ariana Grande on? That was past my time. Like I was watching right. You Can't Do That on Television exactly. and stuff like that. Like, we were around the same time of Nickelodeon. And they talk about You Can't Do That on Television. Oh, back to the foot fetish so we don't leave everybody hanging. But, you know, there's like, a <laughs> guy, uh, Dan Schneider. He's like runs all, most of the shows there. And there's a bunch of shit about him and Amanda Bynes and like how he's part. he may have molested her. And that's part of the reason why she snapped. You know, this is all just gossip. Oh, no. Don't sue us. And, I literally uh, have never heard any of this before. And What's then wrong with me? I don't know. How do you not know this? Oh, my God. And then there's, like, um, entire, like, blogs about, or, like, tumblers about all the times that they um, unnecessarily show feet in these shows. And so they think he has a, <laughs> Dan Schneider has a foot fetish. There's, like, a lot of I mean, uh, Ariana Grande's feet. Anyway, so there's a lot of, like, it stops before the Schneider times, I think. Anyway, so it talks about you can't do that that on television, which I fucking love that show when people got slimed. And there was that the mm-hmm. diner guy, Burger, Burger, Barf. Barf, right. I love that show. And then they, they talked about all that, which we got Keenan and mm-hmm. Kel from. And what was that other actress that was on it? She was hilarious. And Amanda Bynes was on that, too. That's where she started out, right? 
So and then it goes hey, Schneider. Hey, dude. Hey, dude. Right? Exactly. And then Pete and Pete. And I forgot how, how fucking good Pete and Pete was. Um, right after watching this, though, my I got... I don't have Amazon anymore because we were using somebody else's account. So now I can't watch Pete and Pete, but if you wanted to watch it, it's on Amazon. It's such a genius show. And then that brought me to Malcolm in the middle, which I was a little bit too old for, but I, you know, I've seen some episodes, but, um, that show's fucking hilarious, dude. I'm loving it. It's a really nice break from all the heavy stuff I watched. I've never even once seen that show. I am telling you, you should watch it. There's an episode where the young, the youngest son, like he wants to carry a purse to school as his book bag. And so he's carrying this purse. And then of course, you know, all the kids are like, oh, you're carrying a purse. And he's like, it's a bag. And then they, they're like making fun of him. And then he just hits him in the head with the purse and knocks them all <laughs> out. And then you find out he had a brick in his purse because he knew that they were going to bully him. Oh, man. It was really good. I really think you should watch it. It's it's like giving me a really nice break from all the crazy stuff I watch. Um, and then I watched this documentary called Crip Camp on Netflix, a disability. Oh, that's supposed to be very good. It was really good. I cried. It was really sweet. But then it was also, like, really awesome, um, like, because, you know, every they can really be themselves and they're like all treated like regular people when they're at the camp because everybody has the same, has problems. They just have different problems. And so this is the first time that they are able to like really feel like kids and teens. And so of course there's a lot of making out going on and there's a crab outbreak at one point. And then mm. this one woman, she gets gonorrhea and she was actually like, Really proud of it first. She was like, I got an STD. I got an STD. And then the doctors kept thinking she had appendicitis because they just assumed that she couldn't be sexually active. And then they found out, figured out it was gonorrhea. And then, so at first she's excited because she got gonorrhea and she's like, I got a sex, sexually active disease. But then she's like, wait, what the fuck is wrong with these people that they thought they overlooked that it could be gonorrhea because they just assumed I didn't have sex? They didn't even like consider that as a possibility. So that right. pissed her off so much that she went back to school and got her master's in human sexuality. And the whole time she's telling the story, she's wearing this awesome shirt that says, behind this shirt lies a sensuous woman. I love her. <laughs> and she said going back to school was like her ticket out of the Bronx. That was really great. And then at the end, it's like talks about how all the kids from camp grew up and started working in disability rights and doing all this stuff for accessibility legislation and stuff. Great movie. It was awesome. I loved it. I need a sensuous woman shirt. I need a sensuous woman shirt. Everyone needs a sensuous I need a gonorrhea makes me thirsty shirt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the last thing uh, I watched, um, which was a feel-good movie, but then also made me hope that uh, we all have to stay in our houses for another year. More pandemic, but without the dying, I think. So it's the year the earth changed, and it's on Apple. And it's about how this year with the pandemic, how much it healed the world already. So like mm, yeah. in like a matter of weeks, like oceans were clearing up and lakes are clearing up and fog was lifting. And people in India could see the mountains from the first time from their houses that were like right there. They like they weren't that far wow. away. Wow. 
the whales are having like the fucking time of their lives because there's no ship noise. They're making new whale songs they haven't made before. They're having more babies. They can go further for their food so that they have more food to eat. Penguins is kind of the same deal with them. They're higher survival rate because they, they can go out to fish more and at more times of the day because the penguins were only fishing at night because they were avoiding the boats. And then like tigers are having a better time because really we just too damn loud besides being messy <laughs> as fuck. Besides being messy as yeah. bitches, we are too damn loud. So the tigers, like when people would go for like on those bullshit wildlife retreat rides, you know, they would use like speakerphone so they could talk to the other people in the car and that's super loud. And then the engines are loud. And when a tiger finds a really big, gets like a big kill and they can't drag it around and they don't want to leave it because then another predator eat it. They make these little tiny noises, noises for their babies to come to the, to the food. And the noises aren't loud because they don't want to alert other animals. And we were fucking talking over that shit. Rude. Oh no. We are so rude. But the thing is, a lot of people didn't realize, like the people with the penguins didn't realize that the penguins were only going at that time because we were in their way. They thought that's when the penguins went. So now that they're wiser, they're going to change the way they operate. You know, they're going to move their boats. They have plants. People are wising up. Like, oh, birds are singing fucking new songs. Birds that would live under like um, the what was it? The golden gate bridge or something. There it's like, they're living their best. Everyone's living their best life, but us. <laughs> oh man. People ruin everything. We really did. We just, we just trashed it, but things got started to getting so much better, so much faster. I feel like if we could just keep this up one more year, we could really reverse some of the bullshit we did. I mean, we still got all that plastic in the ocean, but this was, this made a lot of difference. And, oh, and then so that there, then there's ways like at the end of it, it talks about how everybody's learning from these things and they're trying to work with the animals instead of going right back to the bullshit. We'll see. I bet we go back to our bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Only time will tell. <laughs> and that's what I've been watching. Okay. What have you been watching? Thank you so much for asking. I'm obsessed with the show The Circle on Netflix. Oh, yeah. It's um, back. I- it's back. I, I got really into it, it last season, and now it's finally back for season two. It's hosted by Michelle Buteau, friend of Bust and funny lady. I love her. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know, The Circle is a reality competition series where they take a bunch of people and they stick them in these little but very beautiful apartments in London, and they um, create a little social network for them called the circle and you can decide who you want to be. Like you can either play the game as yourself or you can totally create an entirely made up profile and just catfish everyone. It's totally up to you. And so basically it's just one big social media popularity contest and people mix and mingle via text, either in group texts or in smaller little breakout rooms or one-on-one texts, but it's only done back and forth via the social network called the circle. And then periodically they vote on who they like the best and uh, the least popular people get blocked and get kicked out. And then at the end, there's only one, but it's just this weird social media experiment game show 
thing. And this season, um, Chloe from the reality show Too Hot to Handle is on there, and she's so cute. And also, um, Lance Bass is on there, but it's not actually Lance Bass. It is um, Lance Bass's personal assistant who knows everything about Lance Bass, so is playing as Lance Bass. Um, And already there's this dude, Mitchell, who's totally ripped and, like, never wears clothes. And he – He literally never wears a shirt. Never. And he was on there – like, he came in sort of midway through. And already, like, people are on these streets, like – passing around social media photos of him with the Confederate flag. So whether or not he does well on the show remains to be seen. But when he leaves the show, he's not going to be doing well because he's already been canceled. Oh my gosh. I was not a fan of him. I mean, Oh, he did wear one shirt. It did not fit. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm definitely watching that. Um, HBO Max has Criterion Collection, which is a gift that keeps on giving. And so Luscious Logan and I watched Multiple Maniacs, John Waters' second movie, um, which is on HBO Max. And it got the beautiful Criterion Collection treatment, so it's never looked better. And um, for people who know John Waters, like his more famous movies, my favorite movie of all time is a John Waters movie, which is Hairspray. Um, and people often like to talk about pink flamingos, but multiple maniacs gets overlooked. Like maybe cause it's in black and white. It's like, it's very lo-fi. It's only his second movie. It was made in 1970. It is so weird and very engaging. I don't know, Callie, if you've ever seen it, but no, um, I've seen a lot. Mo- I thought I'd see most of them, but not that one. It's, um, it's about this traveling troupe of sideshow freaks. And by sideshow freaks, it's like, look at them. They're gay. You know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> like, like they're, they're, they're not really freaks, but it's just like people, it's a, a traveling sideshow and they go to different places and they like lured people into their sideshow tent to see them do perverted acts. And then they murder them and steal their wallets. <laughs> um, I but would like the, this. it's a, it's a lot more than that. And there's so many, it's just like weird on weird on weird on weird, but also kind of beautiful, but also very disgusting. Um, Mary Vivian Pierce, who has been in bust magazine, she's in that movie and she just keeps, it's so funny. Like there's the ringmaster kind of guy and his name is Mr. His name is David. And she calls him Mr. David. And he is like supposed to be, uh, Divine's boyfriend, but he's cheating on Divine with Mary and Vivian Pierce. And Mary and Vivian Pierce has this cloud of like platinum blonde white hair, and she just like keeps running up to him and going, "Oh, Mr. David, Mr. <laughs> David, I want to perform acts with you. I want to perform acts with you." And she's like talking about like sex stuff, but she like they do like incredibly perverted stuff, but she can't even say the word sex. She just keeps saying, "I want to perform acts with you," and she's like a sex maniac. There's this scene in it with divine and mink stole inside of a church, which to me is one of the most shocking scenes in all of John Waters entire. Like I forgot how incredibly shocking it is. And it goes on for a really long time. I won't say what goes on, but I'm sure you can imagine is it is, um, 
It involves rosary beads, and that's all I'll say about that. There's also a really humongous lobster that um, (laughs) that sexually assaults Divine. A lot of things happen. Oh my god! And I, it's just hanging out there on on HBO Max, just lurking. I don't know if people know that, like hiding inside of their HBO Max is something incredibly perverted and bizarre. After work, and beautiful and strange, multiple maniacs. And the the other thing that I'm watching, which is a lot more squeaky clean compared to that, is The Voice. <laughs> I got into the, the singing competition, The Voice, a few months ago, and the 20th season just kicked off in March. So it's like midway through now. The, the judges this season are Blake Shelton, Kelly Clarkson, John Legend, and Nick Jonas. And I just like to, I like that show. I find it very relaxing because there's no plot. It's just people singing. And then like they get coached by these celebrities on how to sing better. And then they sing against each other. And then they decide which song they liked better. And like, that's it. That's what I've been watching, except, of course, the one last thing I've been watching is the Majestic Pop-Tarts Patreon page. Kelly, I don't know if you saw that we got a new matron on whoop, whoop. on Matreon this week. Yes, I saw a new matron. Thank you for being a friend. I love it. Yeah. So, um, yes, as I said, our, pa- our Pop-Tarts Patreon page is in the world, and we really need your help to keep Bust alive. Hopefully, you'll be excited by the goodies we've hooked up for Pop-Tarts listeners at patreon.com slash pop tarts podcast callie and i with help from team bust have been typing up show notes exclusively for patreon donors that include links to what everyone has been watching for all 106 episodes oh my god Ah. we've got totally ad free episodes available there's exclusive content on there including an amazing episode we taped with big frida that nobody can hear except for donors at patreon.com slash pop tarts podcast you already know you already know (laughs) please check it out at patreon.com slash Podcast. At this time, I would like to thank our luscious producer and sound engineer, Logan Del Fuego. Muy caliente, Logan. And our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rams and on Instagram at Rams Emily, but you cannot find Callie on social media, so don't try, right? Nope. You can, however, email both of us. I'm at emilyrams at bust.com. I'm Callie W at bust.com. And you can learn more about this show at bust.com slash pop tarts. Finally, please, if you wouldn't mind, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out. We super duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know gonorrhea makes you thirsty. thirsty.